Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we have natural health doctor, Dr. Kate Seuss. A lot of people think that it's just silicone and it's made from sand and it's this like natural, like no big deal device. So I would say get educated on what those are, what the ingredients are, and also think about what's going to happen when it's time to replace, because maybe you want to leave them alone for now, but eventually the time's going to come where you're going to have to replace them and the plastic surgeon is going to try to sell you the newest, most cohesive implant and the most cohesive implant has the most chemicals in it. The reason why is because the lawsuits in the 90s were all about the implants breaking in the body and like mobilizing and moving and not being cohesive and that was kind of, that was causing a lot of problems so then they took them off the market reformulated them and they're like now look you can run them over with a car you can step on them well well, cool well why because they have more chemicals now i'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate one billion people i've been obese for most of my life from rock bottom to the top of the mountain i am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the keto camp podcast my goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space my name is ben azadi and i want to thank you for spending part of your day with me hello keto campers hope you are having an amazing day today I am grateful to share a powerful conversation with the phenomenal health practitioner, Dr. Kate Seuss. In this episode, we're gonna talk all about breast implant illness. Yes, it is a very important topic that is not being discussed enough. We're gonna deep dive into what goes wrong when we have, well, not we, I'm not a woman, but when women have implants in their body, some of the negative side effects and consequences that happen and the illnesses that can occur with breast implants. Dr. Kate is going to share her story of getting sick from her breast implants and what she did to get well and what she continues to do to get better. We're also gonna be discussing detox. And when we say detox, we're not referring to a 10-day colon cleanse or a coffee enema or any of the downstream detox, which have their time and place. We're talking about detoxing the cells. So we'll share some tips on detoxing your cells, your cell membrane, the hypothalamus, pituitary parts of your brain that accumulate these toxins. So we're going to talk about toxins. We're going to talk about breast implants. We're going to talk about biohacking. And it's such a fun conversation. So I can't wait to share Dr. Kate Seuss with you shortly. And before I do, I want to thank you for joining in to the Keto Camp podcast and tuning in. We're so grateful for that. Our mission here at Keto Camp is to inspire, is to educate 1 billion people on planet Earth. And if you haven't left a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, Apple iTunes, please take this opportunity to do so. It really makes a big difference for the show. So pause it, leave that rating and review, and thank you in advance. This episode of the Keto Camp Podcast is sponsored by my favorite keto oil, which is olive oil, but it has to be a high quality, first harvest, organic, fresh pressed olive oil. Yes, I know I sound like an olive oil snob, and I am, because when you do it right, when you consume the right olive oil, 
you're gonna reduce inflammation. It's gonna be loaded in polyphenols and antioxidants to help you with your keto and fasting journey. So what I'm talking about here are my friends over at the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. We worked out an exclusive deal for keto campers to get a $39 bottle of this amazing, delicious, fresh pressed organic, extra virgin, processed olive oil for one buck. Yes, a $39 bottle for a buck. If you head over to ketocampoliveoil.com, remember that's camp with the K, ketocampoliveoil.com, you could claim that $39 bottle for one buck. Hey, before I bring Kate on, I wanna encourage you to take a screenshot of this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast and tag me on Instagram and tag Kate. I'll be sure to see it. I'll share it on my story. We'll get some other keto campers following you back. My Instagram handle, if you're not following me already, is at thebenazadi, that is T-H-E-B-E-N-A-Z-A-D-I. And Dr. Kate's Instagram is Dr. Kate, D-R-K-A-Y-T-E. Tag us, we'll see it, I'll share it. All right, let's bring on the amazing Dr. Kate. Dr. Kate Seuss is a functional and preventative health expert who works with patients to optimize their health and feel their absolute best. She has an extensive background in both allopathic and natural health, completed 1,000 plus hours of training in functional medicine, nutrition, immunology, and epigenetics. Dr. Kate's primary focus centers on supporting hormonal imbalance, anti-aging medicine, autoimmune disease, vitamin and mineral imbalances, thyroid health, fertility, and detoxification, as well as pre- and post-operative surgery wellness. Dr. Kate, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. As a fellow Miamian in the house here at Keto Camp HQ. That's right. And you're doing some great work. You have a great story that I want you to share. And that story is very powerful because it's going to lead up to what this conversation is about. So before we get into all the things that you're doing and all things breast implants and detoxification, let's talk about your story. How did you get to where you are now? Well, that is sort of a long question, but I would say... I had a lifetime exposure to mercury from prenatal exposure from my mother who had a mouthful of amalgams, um, silver fillings. And then I, I received amalgams and silver crowns as a child. Some of them fell out as baby teeth. Some stayed with me into adulthood. I had two amalgams break in my mouth in my mid-20s, one year after another. And then I got breast implants, which also have mercury along with other neurotoxic heavy metals and other toxins that are not heavy metals, but are destructive chemicals. Mm -hmm. And I started having health problems about nine months after getting breast implants. So that was how it started. So you had, you had, your bucket was full. Yes. You're such a pompa. (laughs) (laughs) He gave me that phrase too. The mercury bucket. Yes. Yeah, totally. A lot of my vocabulary is from Dr. Pompa, the amazing Dr. Pompa. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about first. First of all, before we get into the breast implants, what are the problems with silver amalgam fillings? Well, the problem with silver amalgam fillings is that they have mercury in them. And mercury is a neurotoxin that causes all kinds of problems in the body. We get exposed to mercury from many places. And depending on your individual genetics and bioindividuality and health and age and all of those factors, you're going to process mercury different than somebody else. So if you're the type of person who has a hard time getting mercury out of your body, you're going to accumulate it and you're going to have more destructive negative effects. And 
sometimes when you're young, you can have a lot of mercury in your body and you do have symptoms, but you don't know that they're mercury symptoms. And because you're so healthy and young, it doesn't really affect you until you start to break down more as you age, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. You're right. So our genes play a role. Also, our stress bucket, like we talked about, play a role. And once that bucket gets full, we get symptoms. So for you, you had your bucket full from the uh, amalgam fillings for your mom had. You had it yourself, the crowns, and then you had breast implants. Correct. And the reason I mention prenatal exposures is because a lot of people will will suffer one exposure and have like a catastrophic effect, like an instant onset of chronic fatigue syndrome, which I think is what Dr. Pompa talks about in his story. Mm-hmm. He had one bad dental procedure where he, the dentist removed the silver fillings in the non-safe way. And mm-hmm. then he immediately felt really tired and awful and all like overnight. Right. Yeah. And then a lot of people ask, well, why does that happen? And there's a lot of things that we we can't quantify, such as how much mercury was passed to you from your mother in the placenta through and through breast milk. And, and she could have inherited that mercury from her mother and it stayed in her body her whole life, right? And mercury, it's interesting. I've heard different theories about this, but we think that the mother might even pass more mercury to the fetus as almost a defense mechanism for her body. Um, I, I don't have any like clinical evidence to back up yeah. that statement. It's just something I've heard clinically, and we don't know if it's true. But Yeah, it's an interesting <laughs> hypothesis, though. It's an interesting hypothesis. So the problem with the mercury is that it gets stored in our hypothalamus pituitary. It can. It can, which it can. is the master controller of our body, and then everything downstream dysfunctions. That's that's one thing that can happen. Yeah. That's one thing that can happen. Something that's interesting to talk about is when we ingest mercury and we get from our diet, you know, it's in the gut and then it can move into circulation and and it likes to embed in sulfurated tissue. Um, So it can be attracted to organ tissue like the brain or it could end up in muscle tissue. And um, part of what we see a lot um, with people who do... Um, chelation or or they use products that are say they're for heavy metals or they hear like medical medium talking about cilantro smoothies and 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 spirulina and these weak chelators or even glutathione you know in an IV I I always talk about how you could have mercury in sort of I don't want to say benign places but places where they're not causing as much destruction like what you just described and then you can move around mercury without realizing it and then once it gets mobilized it could then go into the brain like what you were describing where it doesn't necessarily have to be if you have it in your body yeah yeah so that's good to know because a lot of people they're doing the cilantro smoothies they're doing the glutathione injections and there's there's a time and place for it but you got to know what to do that day so not allow it to redistribute or allow it to go into the body and it Absolutely. might get stored in the brain and then there's a potential that you can get worse from from even having chelation therapy from practitioners who don't fully understand the way the way the chelators work their half-life the way they redistribute and then you could end up feeling worse after chelation and i think that's why it's been one of those things over the years that were even as a practitioner when i was a new doctor trying to learn about chelation i was always a little scared and timid to get involved with it and i just didn't know it felt like there was a lot of unknowns and it felt like something that could be dangerous if it was done wrong. And that's all true. So I'm happy to to feel like I've demystified yeah. those things within myself, you know, mainly because of, of going through it, right? Yeah, and I love, I love talking about this stuff because it's upstream, right? Mm-hmm. Diet is great. You want to make sure we're eating healthy foods and we're doing exercise and we're fasting. But if you don't get to the cause, the upstream cause, then it's hard to get well. Absolutely. And I'm so happy you said that because I see this all the time with functional medicine practitioners that their go-to is to heal the gut, which I love that. Healing the gut is really important. And and gut dysfunction is the number one thing for most people to get better, even when you look at autoimmunity and a lot of these other problems. However, if you're toxic with mercury, 
you're not going to be able to heal your gut until you address the mercury first. So yeah, right on. I'm with you on that. It's impossible. It's yeah. like, you'll just be swimming upstream right. and trying to chase pathogens and have all kinds of blood sugar dysregularity. So, so for you, you had, um, you said nine months after your breast implants, you started to notice some things. What are some things that you noticed? Well, I was 27 years old. I, I might have, no, it was my 28th birthday, actually. So it was the same year I got implants. I had immediate alcohol intolerance, and it was a time in my life where I was, you know, it was normal for me to have a few drinks a night several times a week. And all of a sudden, that I became extremely sick. And that was the first sign. And then I started having neurological changes like confusion. My brain just wasn't working the way I knew it should. Also that feeling, that heavy kind of brain fog feeling. I had a ton of post-workout soreness. So I was a, a wrestler in high school and college and like I competed nationally. And I, wow. I only, I only talk about that because a lot of women in our culture, when they go to their medical doctor to try and get help for like a pain or something, they're treated like they're very dismissed and they're treated like their pain is like maybe they're weak or sensitive, right? Whereas if you as a man went to your doctor and said, hey, I have a really bad headache, like it's just sort of the stereotype that they're going to be like, whoa, this must be the worst headache he's ever had because he's a man. So that's why he came, mm. you know, and got help, right? Whereas a woman goes and they want to dismiss you, right? So like I know what real pain feels like from training. Like I pushed to the max as a wrestler. I wrestled boys. I was the only girl on my high school team. So I learned like the lesson of pushing through pain and not giving up because it's hard and all of that. So when I started to have this new pain after workouts, I knew right away that it wasn't normal. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just like an intense workout pain. Yeah. So I stopped working out and then I realized the pain was still there and it just sort of sent me on this whole health journey because at that time I wasn't working in the health space at all. And I became a chiropractor because I thought I had a musculoskeletal problem. I thought that, okay, my body's hurting. No one was telling me what was wrong. I saw several doctors. Um, people had some theories, but nothing that was a slam dunker made much sense. And most of them were like, there's nothing wrong with you because your labs are normal. Hmm. I knew something was wrong. I knew I was in pain. So I went and became a chiropractor. And then the first term of chiropractic school, I realized that the, the chiropractic interventions and even acupuncture were not helping that pain. So I started studying functional medicine and learning about like the metabolic causes of pain and, and, and just continuing to search for why I was yeah. feeling bad. And then, yeah. So. I love it. I mean, it was a void that you wanted to fill with, uh, with knowledge and seeking out why this was happening to you. And it led to what you're doing today. So it was a blessing because you got to this point in your life. So when did you realize that the breast implants were a problem. Right. Okay. So one of the first, I started learning functional medicine through Jatice Krasian that we were just discussing. And um, Vajani, who's sort of the father of food sensitivity testing, he's an immunologist, PhD. These are like these incredible resources. Yeah. And I was in Southern California. So I started working for Apex Energetics and just got exposed to these like brilliant practitioners. And everyone was talking about autoimmune disease. So I was learning about all these cutting edge autoimmune things, like about latex immune reactivity and, and even silicone immune reactivity. So I, I thought about those things. I learned about how, you know, the FDA talks about anti-nuclear antibodies, which are a marker for connective tissue disease like lupus and, you know, just things like that are on the FDA fact sheet for silicone breast implants because we've known since the 90s that when women get breast implants, it turns on autoimmunity. Mm -hmm. So that was something that I looked at and I thought about as a student. But 
I had no autoimmunity. So I was looking for those markers of inflammation and, and they were not there. Um, so for those who are listening or watching mm -hmm. who don't really understand what autoimmunity is and how do you turn okay. on, turn off auto, okay. can you explain that a yeah, little bit? Yeah, of course. So um, autoimmunity, like any other disease, is there's a genetic component. And, and what we see with autoimmunity is we often call it a lifestyle disease because there's unknown reasons why it will just all of a sudden turn on. So you might have the gene for it and, and you never, it never gets turned on or upregulated. And, and then there's a trigger event that could be like a death in the family or some emotional trauma, or it could be like putting silicone inside of right. your body. And then what happens is your immune system will start to attack a part of your body. So it could be the thyroid, and then that would be called Hashimoto's, um, or it could be the joints, and that's or the muscles, and you know there's different. There's a lot of different types of autoimmunity. Mm -hmm. Any part of your body that gets attacked is a, is its own disease, right? So yeah, yeah. So that was a great ex explanation. So for you, you figured out that all, all of a sudden you're getting through this research. Silicones are a problem. You have them inside of you. What's the next thing that you did? Well, I was I, what I figured out was that silicone is a problem for people who turn on autoimmune disease, and then I, that wasn't happening to me. So in my sort of, I would say, naive understanding of the body at that time, um, I thought it wasn't coming from my breast implants. So I sort of dismissed that as the cause. There were a lot of things about breast implants that I didn't know at that time. But, you know, the journey continued, and I was still a student. I was going to conferences all over, and I was at an autoimmunity conference in Colorado, talked by Dr. Brandon Lindell, who's like an amazing functional medicine practitioner in Colorado. And he threw a study up on the slides and it said, silent ruptures in silicone are highly associated with fibromyalgia diagnoses. Mm. And I thought, wait, like fibromyalgia, fibromyalgia is basically pain, widespread pain that they don't know what's causing it. And then they that they give you that diagnosis. So that means that they've looked for everything else and it doesn't fit into any of those categories. So they don't really know what's causing it. So usually they'll just call it fibromyalgia. We're right. still searching for what it really is, right? Yeah. Maybe it's mercury. Yeah. <laughs> but It can be. It <laughs> could be, right? Yeah. It could definitely be. So that was an interesting light bulb moment for me because I know if those women were, were diagnosed with fibromyalgia, that means that they didn't get diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, right? Because they would have... Does that make sense? They yeah. would have been diagnosed with X, O, Y, Z. Right. So that was the first time I was like, wait a minute. Because I kind of had like fibromyalgia. I mean, I wasn't diagnosed with it. But if I had tried to seek the allopathic diagnosis, that's what I would have. Because mm -hmm. I had widespread pain that we couldn't, from an unknown cause. So I thought, silent ruptures. Wait a minute. Like, what? Because, you know, that the plastic surgeons don't really like tell women that the FDA regulation is that you're supposed to get an MRI like two to three years. Every two to three years that you have silicone. Because you don't really know what's happening to it could be ruptured the shell could be degraded although you can't see that on MRI mm -hmm. anyway but so when it ruptures it, it leaks it ruptures and you don't know it's ruptured right. and it can be leaking although all of this is really moot because it doesn't have to be ruptured for it to cause all of these same problems mm -hmm. however if you do have gel bleed or you do have a rupture sometimes your symptoms are more severe or they might come on faster um, or it could be harder to 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 get better because you have mobilized silicone, right? It's really sticky and it moves into lymph and then it's harder mm -hmm. to get out of your body, right? So after that, I started looking at breast implants again and I started doing more research and then I found out all the ingredients in breast implants, that there's mercury and lead and arsenic and platinum and aluminum and like I said, a lot of other toxic heavy uh, chemicals. So, and molds, correct? Mold, well, mycotoxins can end up there? So that's, that would be... We would be talking about that more in relationship to saline implants because okay. the older saline, there's many types of implants that have been made, but, but silicone were taken off the market 
um, I think from 92 to 2006 in the United States because of lawsuits that happened. Mm-hmm. And, and they, were still, they were still approved for women who had mastectomies, but then all the, the ones that were available were sealing, which means they sort of have a shell that might be something like plastic or it could be silicone, the shell. And then there's a valve. And then once it's inside of the body, it gets filled with saline, um, which is like salt water. Mm-hmm. And saline, the, the valve mechanism is not a perfect mechanism. So what we have seen in some people is that the, the pathogens can infiltrate into that. And then they sort of proliferate inside of the, the saline like a fish tank. Okay. And then you have this sort of ground zero pathogen activity. And because it's so close to the vagus nerve and the heart and the lungs and all the mast cells that hang out in the chest area, which yeah. release histamine when they're, when, you know, when they, when they want, when they're, <laughs> when they get triggered. So the body's a complex system. Yeah. So, so it's, you know, when you think looking back, like, wow, you know, these toxic chemicals are right next to your heart. I mean, when women are explanting and they're trying to go about it the proper way to prevent more leakage or spillage, we have conversations where the plastic surgeons are talking about scraping capsule tissue off of the rib and having to be very careful not to perforate a lung because we're talking about millimeters mm-hmm. of distance, right? And then you start thinking like, why would I ever cut my chest open <laughs> and put something there that isn't a lifetime device that you're always going to have to have another surgery, right? So <laughs> and it's right by the heart. It's, right by it's, the heart. Yeah. So you found out all this information. You knew that. At what point did you say, oh, I'm going to get these out of me. I'm going to get the breast. I'm going to explant these. Well, it's funny because I fell into the category of already not really liking my breast implants at this stage. Um, I've talked to a lot of women who, so many women who felt the same way. By the time they learned implants were toxic, they didn't want them anyway. So they were just like, great, I can't wait to get rid of them. But then Mm. there's a, a lot of other women who are don't take it well and they don't know what they would do without their implants. And it's really hard for them to kind of like emotionally cope with the physical changes and what that will mean for like the identity that they've formed around having the implants. And, and then there's also mastectomy patients who have no breast tissue and no nipples and then they can, they're, you know, facing their own challenges, right. Aesthetically. Um, so for you, you were, you, you knew you weren't around anyways. Yeah, Yeah, I was, I didn't really even want breast implants. It sort of happened by accident. You know, you go see a plastic surgeon and sometimes you end up getting talked into things that you didn't necessarily go there for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in my case, I just, I, I just, I, I wanted a lift, I think. And, and he told me it didn't make any sense because women who haven't had children, if you get a lift, it becomes complicated, like moving the nipple and it can sever the ducts, the milk ducts. And so was like, just get implants. They'll solve your problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it added more problems, <laughs> well, but but you wouldn't be doing what you're doing now yeah, if you didn't yeah. go through it, right? Absolutely. I don't look at it like it. I just think it's in hindsight, it's hilarious. It is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> so after I removed my implants, um, and I did the proper way using unblock capsulectomy, and I'll give you links if um, yes. for, where people can, or if they go to my Instagram and Linktree, I have links to the nonprofit. Uh, breast Im- implant illness group where the women have compiled like all the resources that you need but mblock your, your instagram is dr kate dr kate uh, yes yeah i'm gonna, we're gonna put in the youtube video in the notes and just go follow her on instagram yeah k-a-y-t-e dr kate yeah okay uh so where, where were we um you were getting them uh, <laughs> we explained the right way yes yeah. so i removed them and then i was i would say i was i was about half better but you have to think about what's happening like if, if people listening have ever experienced like a detox reaction, you know, 
I, in my case, I had a gel bleed. So my implants were sort of sweating their contents every day and, and the, the liver and the kidneys and, and all of the detox organs don't really ever get a break. Right. Cause it's happening 24 hours a day, seven days a week and they're inside of your body. It's not like having a night out on the town and drinking and then sleeping mm-hmm. or like even being an alcoholic where you're drinking every day. Cause you still sleep at night. You can't really physically drink or smoke 24 hours a day. But when you have something like toxic inside of you, it's the same thing, but it's sped up, right? It's like double time working. So your organs were working overtime. They're working overtime, keeping up with just the... And whatever they can't detox in the moment, they're going to store. It's like how our body works. It's smart. It's to help us, right? Mm -hmm. It's to prevent it from wearing itself out in the process. Um, So then you remove them... And sometimes you can start detoxing really quickly because now your body's like, okay, I can let go of all this stored crap. And a lot of women find themselves going through almost an emotional roller coaster because of the way mercury and other chemicals impact estrogen primarily by depleting zinc, you know, and when you have too many chemicals, which act like estrogen, xenoestrogens, right? They're mimicking estrogen and they're, they're depleting zinc. And then you're retaining copper, which happens in estrogen dominance anyway, but then copper and zinc have this antagonistic or like the trade-off relationship where one goes low, the other goes high. And, and yeah, it can just, it makes them have this sort of crazy presentation, right? Plus, um, mercury is destroying lithium in the brain and, um, has an affinity for the thyroid, Yes, we could talk about how it affects yeah. energy and the thyroid, and then it's like throwing a wrench in, in methylation, mm-hmm. and and it's also depleting um, collagen by throwing a wrench in the mitochondrial function. So, so when when it starts to get mobilized and redistributed, as can happen with explant, or as can happen with with even a safe amalgam removal, right? It's important to sort of have these strategies in place to like know that you're going to be you want to kind of like bind up all that all of that, right? So would you recommend – yeah, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying totally. Right. You don't want it to like just go rampant in the body because it could create the problems that you just described. Right. So do you recommend somebody do some uh, downstream detox work before – down open up their detox pathways before they get an explant? Before explant, I would say – working on detox detox pathways is complicated because they're already very they're burdened but you're not able to remove the source so it would be sort of like advising somebody to start detoxing while they're continuing to drink every day or they have silver fillings in their mouth right exactly you you don't want to pull yeah like so i don't use any of the the chelators ever if someone still has implants or amalgams correct that would be like a huge recipe for disaster they're going to feel way worse right um i like to just support the body the healing process before and during and right after explant because you have to remember you're going through like a huge trauma of being cut open and you're already probably sick so you just want to make sure you're getting a lot of vitamin c a lot of zinc a lot of you know vitamin e magnesium all of the things that get depleted by mercury um, where could they find a list of all that? Um, well, I'm deferring to Andy Color's core four when I'm talking about that. Um, but these are just basic nutrients. Yeah. So we're talking about um, a diet that is typically it's helpful if it's high in healthy fats, proteins, they have vegetables. So um, things that are going to like really feed the body yep. and help heal. And I don't really have a list of pre-surgery recommendations, but if you work with your, your practitioner, like, you know, just tell them that you want to focus on healing, um, not detox, (laughs) not during that time. Yeah. If it makes sense. Yeah. Great advice. I mean, you just listed a whole bunch of things so they could just, I hope you all are writing it down and taking notes here. This is a very (laughs) important episode. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, sometimes this really feels like life or death especially for some of these women who are bedridden and part of the problem where they get to this point is because we don't have a lot of 
information about this in the mainstream. And a lot of doctors are not trained to understand. And um, and I live in Miami. You're uh-huh, from Miami. We're uh-huh. in Miami right now. Right. And it's very common to see breast implants in Miami, yes. more so than other cities. Yes. I know you're in, in LA, LA, so you see it there too. But but here you guys have silicone everywhere in yeah. the body. I mean, we're talking about a lot of other. So this areas. type of conversation is is not happening enough. And if if it's heard, usually someone will think, yeah, that's a whole bunch of like nonsense, or you know, I'm I feel fine. So what would you say to something like like about something like if that? If someone said that they feel fine yeah. and they have breast implants yeah. in their body. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that's good that, you know, you're not in the state, but I would want them to be educated on what's in the implants because I think that's part of the informed consent that gets missed. Yes. Now, if I'm a plastic surgeon and you come in and you want breast implants and I tell you, and this is what's going on right now with the FDA labeling. So we're petitioning right now because they're, they're undergoing changes to the way they label them and the way they talk about informed consent. And we're trying to actually, I think December 23rd is the deadline to report and like, um, tell the FDA what you want on the labels so that they don't hide the ingredients, which is something that I think some pharma companies want. Um, but yeah, if you go in and, and I'm like, hey, like, you know, these are the implants. They have mercury, lead, arsenic, platinum, aluminum, platinum, all these chemicals, like just so you know, have, a, you know, it's kind of like we don't want to drink out of something that has BPA. Mm-hmm. We don't want to drink out of a plastic cup. But so maybe you don't want that stuff in your body if you know. A lot of people think that it's just silicone and it's made from sand and it's this like natural, like no big deal device. So I would say get educated on what those are, what the ingredients are. And also think about what's going to happen when it's time to replace, because maybe you want to leave them alone for now, but eventually the time's going to come where you're going to have to replace them. And the plastic surgeon is going to try to sell you the newest, most cohesive implant. And the most cohesive implant has the most chemicals in it. The reason why is because the lawsuits in the nineties were all about the implants breaking in the body and like mobilizing and moving and not being cohesive. And that was kind of, that was causing a lot of problems. So then they took them off the market, reformulated them, and they're like, now, look, you can run them over with a car. You can step on them. Well, well cool. Well, why? Because they have more chemicals now. Yeah. So I'm seeing a lot more people getting sick from what I call the mitochondrial model, which is not the autoimmune model. It's like more of some of the other stuff we've been talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so I'd love for you to talk about the emotional impact that it has. And you talked about it a little bit, but what are some tips you can share for somebody who had just had their breast implants removed and it's been very traumatic for them? You've been through it. What are some emotional things you could share for them? So um, I think sometimes when, and I went through this myself and I ended up beginning a supplementation of plant lithium, lithium orotate. Actually, I use one that's even less strong than the orotate. I use like just the regular plant lithium from biotics, but I've used orotate sometimes you're feeling really bad, there's a high chance it's because of how the chemicals have affected your brain over many years. I don't know if that's everyone, then this is not medical advice, but there you can work with your practitioner before you start supplementing to do a hair test and you can measure your mineral status and see if like, you know, it has to be interpreted in a specialized way because it's not just like, oh, it's high or low in the hair. So it means it's higher or low in the body. Like, no, you have to use critical thinking and think like, well, if it's high, maybe I'm I'm excreting all of it and not utilizing it and, right. and such. So you have to compare it to symptoms. But there are strategies. There's ways that you can like, you can improve estrogen dominance and balance your hormones. You can supplement with things that are going to help you make serotonin so that you don't feel so bad if you're feeling really, really, really low and you know that it's more than it used to be and it's not normal for you and it's not situational and it just seems like it keeps going. You know, there's definitely strategies. So 
Um, you just listed a whole bunch. Yeah. I love it. Those are some. And then I would say definitely at the appropriate time, start thinking about chelation if it makes sense for you, if you have the mercury kind of model. And I talk about mercury so much. There's all these other heavy metals and they have their own side effects. But we sort of think of mercury as the ringleader. And when there's a high amount of mercury in the body, it seems like the body holds on to other heavy metals. And then once you kind of lower the mercury bucket, you can start getting rid of others like aluminum and lead. And Mercury's uh, the, the ringleader, the, the bully ringleader. of the block. It just for some reason seems like it makes it harder to detox, even like gadolinium, which is IV contrast, you know, and gadolinium is supposed to clear the body really fast. There's supposed to leave in two months. And yeah, I still have gadolinium in my body from over two years ago. And I think it's because mercury. So we're addressing that now. Awesome. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about how does somebody test if they have high amounts of mercury, uh, heavy metals? Because I know <laughs> you were wondering, oh, I want to know if I have this mercury in my body. How do they test? Well, yeah. And so you can test for it. There's many different ways and there's a lot to say about each way of pros and cons. And it's sort of like a puzzle. So let's say you were next to an explosion yesterday and you got exposed to a lot of mercury and then we did a blood test the next day or even within a few weeks. We could look at your blood and we could say, oh, wow, you have high levels of mercury in your blood. Like this is dangerous. Let's chelate immediately. And then that would be a situation where maybe we would use an IV because we want to put that chelator in and get it like the GMSA or the, or the DMPS. And we would want to get all that acute mercury immediately out of your body before it can can embed in tissue, right? right. But the, the thing about mercury is it has this ability to sort of, and to go into all the, the complicated chemistry of how it happens, like the, I can't do, but the research is out there if you want to find it. Basically, it finds its way into the cell and then it changes the cell so that it doesn't leave. So it kind of like locks itself in. And that makes it very challenging to leave the body, even for your own detox abilities and your own pathways. So that's why chelators start to become important. Now, not everybody stores mercury in the same way. So sometimes you can have an exposure and you can clear it and there's genetic reasons and there's just so many factors to why that happens. But if you're storing it, and you do a blood test and you have a lot of mercury in your body that's stored, you probably will not have high levels on that blood test, right? Because it's it's in the tissue, it's not in the blood. It's the same thing if you were to do a urine test. You might catch some situational mercury or other chemicals that have been passing through that you were just exposed to, but you're not going to have a true reading of what's going on in the brain, in the tissue, in the nerves, in the organs, whatever. Sometimes doctors will prescribe a high dose of a chelator like a very high dose of something like DMSA and mm-hmm. you take it orally right before you do the urine test. And it's cool because then you have the six hour window where you're collecting urine and you say, okay, I caught this much mercury from the chelator. So it's pull it, it pulls it out of the tissue, right? And you catch it in the urine. But like, is that a true measure of what's in the body? We don't necessarily know. And then you also have to remember that heavy metals have weight among each other. So some are heavier than others. Mercury and lead are much heavier than like thallium and gadolinium, right? So if I, like for, in my case, I had high gadolinium in my body. So when I did the DMSA challenge, I'm grabbing, it's grabbing whatever it can first, right? So it's grabbing the gadolinium first and the thallium and whatever else. And then on my urine test, I had 
kind of like moderate mercury and then really high of these other lighter metals. So if I were to do the same test six months later after chelating, I could see now mercury is really high now that, you know, the DMSA has grabbed all the all the light metals and right. then I can start pulling the heavier ones. This was just like so hard to know. It's not really accurate. And then there's also concern that if you're very toxic, it can stir it up and redistribute it and make you feel way sicker. So we don't really do those tests for everyone. It's kind of like, it's situational, but... Same thing with me. Okay. So and I explained that because yes. it's important to work with the practitioner first and foremost who yeah. knows this stuff yeah. because if you're doing it yourself, it's going to drive yourself crazy. Yeah. I did my heavy metals test and I had all those other metals that uh -huh. were high. I had lead that was high. I had bismuth that was high for some reason. Mercury was not high, but I had eight silver fillings for 20 years. So that's a perfect example right there. Right. Absolutely. And it's the same thing with the hair test. So when you look at the hair test, you're not looking for heavy metals in the hair. You're looking for mineral derangement. So you see, you see like, oh, mercury has this destructive effect on zinc and it has this destructive effect on lithium or, or magnesium. And so you can, you can read in the hair how your body is utilizing minerals. And then you can say, okay, clinical history, exposure, symptoms, and now mineral derangement. Okay, it's pretty suspicious of mercury. I would like you to replenish all these minerals. And, you know, um, that's like where you start. And then you start thinking about chelation. And it really depends on your personal health, like what other stuff is going on. Sometimes chelation is not appropriate. Sometimes it's really not. Right. Um, there is something that's kind of fun called the acid test, which is alpha lipoic acid. Um, you take your body weight into like fourths, I think. So for someone like like you, or it's probably a, maybe like a 20, for me, it'd be like probably a 25 milligram mm -hmm. ALA for you, like a 50. Mm -hmm. And then you do... You take ALA within its half-life every two to three hours for three days. And you and we're talking about alpha lipoic acid. I don't know if I said that. You did, and, yeah. and we're looking for a reaction. So it's very common for people to feel better and like better than they usually do or euphoric or feel just like great or maybe really sick. Both of those are positives yeah. on the acid So you test. want a reaction. Yes, and that so means does, you're accumulating something. So does it give you any data whether if they're getting a positive reaction, does that mean something yes. versus a negative reaction? What is that? What is the oh, difference there? No, it just has no. Okay. So I That's wish, what me I neither. wish I didn't we could. Have it, yeah. yeah, it's because alpha lipoic acid is probably one of the most complicated and amazing things that exist. It's this profound antioxidant, and it has all these abilities to affect the cell. So. Um, it crosses the blood-brain barrier. And it's the only chelator that crosses the blood-brain barrier. So for me, when I take it, I feel worse. But it's a reaction, so it's but good. But what dose? Right. So there's we could talk about well, the, dose that the you factors. Said. Yeah. Like 50 milligrams? Yeah. Okay. And I, and I spread it out uh, morning and, and, and nighttime. So I would... I would Four gander, on, right? I would gander that it's your. You might be one of those people who needs to take ALA closer within its half life. Yeah. So the idea with half life is like, let's say you have your your chelator that has its two thiol groups and it goes through the body and it grabs under mercury using its correct structure. And that's why, like with glutathione, it has one thiol group. So it kind of is a weak chelator. Same with some of those other weak chelators. They don't have the double yeah. group. Yeah, did you it. hear that? Glutathione is a weak chelator because <laughs> it only has one. I one mean, of it's also claws. wonderful. It does many it's wonderful great, things, but, it's not but in the the situation, here, yeah. it can be a weak chelator that yeah. can move metals. So you want to really grab it. So the ALA is like a great chelator. Well, ALA 
is not also like the best chelator ever. There's pros and cons to its chelating. But in this, for this discussion, it has two thiol groups. It grabs on, it goes in the brain, it pulls it out, and then it starts transporting it out of the body through the bloodstream. And then t- maybe two hours goes by and its half-life expires and it just drops the mercury wherever it is. Yeah. And then now the mercury, maybe it grabbed mercury from a muscle and, and it's floating around in the blood and then now it goes in the brain. So now you have this like neurological decline that's insidious. And this is why I don't like people to take off lipoic acid once a day which happens all the time in blood sugar support regimens and for diabetes and they're taking like a high amount like 200 milligrams to 600 milligrams right and we're talking about taking 25 milligrams and some people are taking six when they're really sick right so for you i would say try doing a lower dose like 12 i mean this is not medical advice (laughs) totally totally, yeah i get it but um disclaimer but a hypothetical situation would be taking 12 milligrams every two to three hours we have to wake up in the middle of the night and do it too. Yeah. You can't sleep through your, your dose because you're going to redistribute. Yep, yep. Uh, great advice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experiment with it. Okay. Okay, I have um, some final questions for you here. Okay. I have my rapid fire, which I didn't let her see because oh, I said, oh, here are your questions. And I said, oh, wait a minute. I don't want you to see the rapid fire. <laughs> okay. So rapid fire, I want you to answer whatever comes to your mind first. Okay. And uh, we'll go right down the list. Okay. Seven questions. This is like a Freudian psychological <laughs> It's fun. It's fun. I was like looking at rapid fire questions or hearing it on podcasts. Okay. What is your favorite detox supplement and why? It's alpha lipoic acid. And we already talked about why. Perfect. Out of all the health tools out there, fasting, keto, all the things you talked about, what's your favorite and why? Fasting. Fasting. Why? Because fasting is anti-aging and it resets everything and it's sort of a great starting point. And, you know, it's it's a tool that's free, that's innate, that's part of many religions. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of been with us since the invention of man. And I mm-hmm. think we're all overexposed to, to, to food and resources, and at least in the first world here. And, uh, yeah, so we're not really meant to be eating as much as we're eating, right? Totally. Fasting is also my favorite. Before I move on to the next question, what's your fasting schedule? Um, I like to do water fasting once a week for 24 hours and that's about all I can handle with my schedule. And then every, like sometimes once a year, I'll be able to do a longer fast for three to five days. And do you do like daily intermittent fasting, like 14, 16 hours? I try to, but it doesn't always happen. In a perfect world, I would support that. For me, I like, I'm sort of still building and in the catabolic phases, Right. So you want to be more uh, an anabolic anabolic mTOR. Oh, you want to be more Thank you. I'm like blinking. <laughs> got it. Yes, got it. Thank you. So your your goal right now is more I'm mTOR, to less grow. autophagy. Yes. Got it. Less autophagy, more. Although, yeah, we could talk. That's yeah. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I love it. It's a, it's a great answer because not everybody has the same goals, and that's your goal. So it could change in a year from now when you put on whatever what you want to do and you achieve those goals. What's the first thing you think of in the morning after you wake up? Well, if I'm being totally honest, I think I try to remember where I hid my cell phone because I always hide it for myself at night in the other room. Um, I found that I used to sleep with it on airplane mode next to me. And then I started putting it in the other room and it was profound how much better my sleep was. So the airplane mode was not cutting it. So typically I'm like, where did I leave it? In the bathroom? Is it in the living room? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's a good, good answer. I do the same thing. I put on airplane mode and I put it, but I put it in the same spot, so I'm not thinking oh, about okay. it. <laughs> That's smart. What's the best piece of advice you've ever heard? I think the best piece of advice, it was what it was that hit me so hard. It was liars don't heal. 
if you're lying about anything in your life, anything at all, whether, I mean, you know, you can kind of like deconstruct that on your own. It's important to sort of be authentic always. And, and that's can be a huge obstacle for, for recovery. I think if you're not sort of in alignment with, you know, everything you have, you say has to sort of match up with what you do. Like you have to walk the walk. Live it to lead it. You have to live it to lead it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not my thing. But yes. But I, that's I, true. I, yeah. I think. That, I've never heard that before. Liars don't heal. Well, it's Caroline Mace, as I'm uh, paraphrasing. Brilliant. But that's who I heard it from. And she's like a, a amazing teacher. She's a medical intuitive, but she's a PhD and she's a publisher and, and a, she's written like 10 books or more. What's well, a great line. It's amazing, so true. I, I, I agree with that. What's the worst piece of advice you've ever had? To take alpha lipoic acid once a day. No. <laughs> um, I think that's the worst, a pet peeve of yours. <laughs> somebody told me a doctor told me once that I needed to eat like a like 180 grams of protein a day, and that's why I was I was sick. And this is not even when you were wrestling. No, this was like two years ago. I oh think. my gosh. Yeah. And so I tried. I really tried because I respected him, you know, and I wanted to see. And that was just not that was not the problem, you know. Mm-hmm. And then overloading that much protein can yeah, cause it. Yeah, issue. that's that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite TV show growing up? Wow. Well, so we lived on on a boat for a good part of my childhood, and on an island, and we didn't have a TV, so I missed a lot of shows. And then, as as a te- like a teen, I yeah. really liked Alias, which is a show about like a female spy, and she was really good at karate and fighting. And cool. I think I related as a young wrestler. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I could see that. Last rapid fire question is: If you had one superpower, what would that superpower be? Wow. Um, I would have to say a time travel probably because I'm so frustrated with traffic now. (laughs) I just want to be everywhere. And I feel like with technology, we're getting exposed to all this cool stuff everywhere. And it's just like, you can just know about it, but you can't do it because of logistics. Yeah. So just bypass traffic. Yes. Don't get your car towed, right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that happened. That happened. We'll we'll, we'll get into that. This is Miami. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what is your definition of perfect health? So perfect health means that you are in present time and you have all the available energy of your body, of your chi to allocate to whatever is needed in the moment. So you could get cut or you could have break a bone and you would heal. Like you would heal easily. We're not immune to having health problems come at us. Like even the healthiest people encounter trauma, right? Mm-hmm. But I think part of the problem is that we just like don't have our full forces on deck to be able to be present and heal our bodies. And that's really what perfect health is. It's, yeah, I love it. the ability to adapt is what you're saying. It's the ability to have to not have like all these parts of your your energetic field and your and your mind like in other places to just be like with yourself and be able to fully commit to whatever is at hand. I love it. Yeah. What are you grateful for today? Well, I'm really grateful I got to spend time with my mom, with my with my best friend here with you. Like you know, the rain stopped, so we're we're having a wonderful day and I'm excited. It's about to be Christmas. Yeah. So much to be grateful for. Yes, yeah, yes. the rain did stop. Drew Manning has been here for his birthday, and he, I'm like, I'm sorry, buddy. It's been raining all week for you. Yeah, it was like it was hurricane raining the it last was. few days, like yeah. not just the normal Florida drizzle. So I think that we're really in the ocean, and we're pretending like this is a city, <laughs> but it's not. It's really just the ocean. It's a problem. And that's gonna. 
Dr. So, Kate, yes. today was awesome. You really, this is the first time we had somebody on this show to talk about breast implants and what it does. So I'm grateful for the work that you're doing, all of your experiences. I can't even imagine what you had to go through to that whole emotional journey. And I'm grateful that you went through it because now you're educating so many people. You're, you're doing great work. I really love your content. And thank you so much for coming out to Aikido Camp HQ. It was an amazing conversation and I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me and I appreciate all the work you're doing. And I'm happy that your audience will know more about breast implants now, they will. hopefully. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Keto Campers, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please, if you know anybody who has breast implants and they're struggling with their health, this is an episode you have to share with them. Share it with them. It can make all the difference in the world. If you want to watch the video version of this interview, she was actually in person here at Keto Camp HQ, and you could watch that interview over at youtube.com slash ketocamp. Please leave the show a rating and review if you haven't done so already. And if you haven't claimed that $39 bottle of the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club for one buck, head over to KetoCampOliveOil.com. And I also want to remind you to take a screenshot of this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast and tag me and Kate on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at TheBenazati and Dr. Kate's handle is at Dr. Kate. Remember, her name is spelled K-A-Y-T-E. Thank you so much for listening to this entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I am so grateful for you. You'll hear me on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.